Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. I'm going to tell you something, people. Um, this Pokemon Go is everywhere, especially out here in L.A. I, I swear to God, I see so many people running around with it. And in the one thing, it fascinates me that people are getting so excited about it. It also fascinates me that people are so stupid that they have to tell people not to go somewhere because these guys in St. Louis set up this Pokemon thing. And when people came to find the Pokemon, they got mugged. But the good thing about it, you know, you can you can bitch about the game and think it's childish. But the good thing about it is, is basically it sits there. And, you know, when I was a kid, I went outside. We played ball in the street. We played all the time. Now kids are just sitting on their asses. So now actually they're probably going to get out and do something. Even though it's around the video game, it was a brilliant idea. So if you haven't, I'm, I haven't downloaded it. I don't really want to. But if you see someone, have fun with them. Anyway, we have a, we have a great show today. Uh, this guy, man, I've known this guy for years. I mean, I think about it. Back from the, when I lived in North Jersey. And he's a comic. He's traveled all around. He's got a lot of stuff going on. He's very opinionated. He, uh, we're going to talk about his career and talk about the other stuff. He was getting people so riled up on Twitter the other day. I was dying. And that's when I had to send him a message because people were getting pissed. And I guess it's Bobby Levy. How you doing, Bob? What's up? Reverend Bob in the house, motherfuckers. But let me tell you something. The reason they get pissed is because they're wrong. You know, that's what gets them upset. You know, you, you know, all you can do is get mad when you're when you can't argue a point. And that's that's the great thing to do on Twitter, you know, because uh, there, there should be no protesting in the street. If you're going to protest, go protest at a park. OK, well, make sure the cameras are there. You don't block the streets so people can't go to work. All right. Uh, all you're doing is causing more trouble and you're spending more money. And all that money that was spent on all these protests could be spent on a bad neighborhood to be fixed up. You get it? Yeah. I mean, That's well, my point. Yeah, well, it's a whole thing. Well, I always say also about Facebook, which, which Facebook is a big thing, as Twitter is. But in Facebook, I always say there's always a reaction of the week. Like if it was the dentist who killed the lion and then it was the gorilla and the other thing was the big everyone was in outrage when Freddie Gray got killed in uh, Baltimore they rioted but then the same people who were outraged didn't say a word six months later and didn't follow the case when the Freddie people the, the guys two of the police got let off so it's funny as people just sit there I think everyone takes a moment to just start talking about shit and I think they do it sometimes, one, just to argue, or two, sometimes just to sit there and feel like they're part of a group. Well, that's what it is. They want to be part of a, a, a group. You know, the whole thing is, is that, okay, uh, a black person is found guilty before being found innocent. But, and, and, uh, uh, and everyone else is innocent. It's not that way. You have to sit and wait for the facts. You can't go out there protesting and shooting without the facts of just, you know, everybody's got a video cam. So that means I can jerk off in my car and a cop pulls me over, I put a video cam on him and you don't see my dick. You know, I mean, it doesn't matter. You, you, you can't argue over facts that you don't know yet. And this is what, you know, Reverend Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson, they love this because they make they make they make money off dead black people. That's their job. I can never get an invitation to talk to them and tell them how to fix things because of the fact that they'd be like, "You're going to kill my career," you know. And the people, I don't even argue with people on Facebook. I Facebook, I get banned 
because I put uh, a picture of a, uh, a tranny in a bathroom, right? And it was a transmission. Right. And it got taken down. It was a transmission. It wasn't a tranny. You understand? They just panic because somebody hits the button. Look at things before you react. That's what's going on here. Nobody's against anybody. You know, I'm trying to do this thing where everybody just gets together. They, you know, they go to parks. They, they go and sit next to each other. Doesn't matter what color you are. And just uh, like a day of peace. And, you know, have bands playing. And just get to know each other. It's so simple. And all this money that you're spending you know, on these riots and, and over overtime and the cops and all that, you can you can build up any bad area, white, black, or whatever, and have people work hand in hand. I have this whole plan, but none of these leaders want to talk to me, but there might be others that might too, want to. So it's pretty cool. Well, it's cool because people, people always, you know, are afraid of change, and it's true. I think we stagnate, and it's a matter of, you know, a plan like yours, which makes sense, which most times when things make sense, people sit there and they sit there and they shun it because it makes sense, but it's not our status quo. Yeah, it's too easy. You know what I mean? When I started working with the vets, I came up with this plan. And they go, how the fuck did you come up with the plan? I go, I went from the ground up. You know what I mean? I started with the easiest things that had to be taken care of. And we went from there. And, and that's the same thing with the with the communities. If you can't, you know, everybody should have an equal chance to live, okay? And and parents shouldn't be telling you know, the kids, fuck, you should have kids at, at rallies and that shit. They don't know what they're doing. Nobody, half the people that are there don't even know why the fuck they're there, okay? But when, you know, when you start the hate at home, you know, uh, like my kid doesn't know anything. My kid's 17, you know, he plays in a fucking rock band, you know? We're doing a song we're giving 100% to the vets called uh, The Fight Has Just Begun. It's on Amazon, you know? It's it's doing great because we're doing something or something. Now people are starting to understand that you can do good and not hurt people and get things done. But to, to like, if, you know, Camden isn't far from here. Say, uh, you know, we... We decide, hey, we're going to get a loan for Camden, and we're going to we're going to we're going to hire unemployed black people, white people in that town to help build it, along with everybody hand in hand, not politicians, not cops. You understand? That's the main thing they don't want to hear from. They just want people to come in there and get to. You need to get to know each other before you can judge somebody. I don't judge anybody by anything. But if you fuck me, I will fucking cut your throat. Right now, I got a question. Now, you, you know your background. You know you're a comic, and you've been a comic for years. And uh, you know sometimes an edgy comic, as you call it. But how did you get involved with the veterans, and what is the whole program you're doing? Uh, what? How I got uh, started was we had this. My son's band had this song, and they, and I said, "Well, why don't you donate to the vets?" And they go, "That's cool." And I got in touch with one group. I was looking for the one group that ended up getting busted for really all that crap, which I, I totally don't believe in, you know, uh, of, of taking uh, trips with people's money that they donate. So I found the, the great groups. I got Uncle Sam's Misguided Children on Facebook. 
uh, Uncle Sam's Child on uh, Twitter. I got Warrior Point with an E at the end. They're on Facebook and Twitter. And I have other groups uh, like Heroes to Heroes that takes care of uh, disabled vets and just takes them on, you know, they can go parachuting off uh, out of planes. They can go canoeing, you know, they can go camping. They can do everything. So when, when I gave, found this one group to give them this song, they go, I know you. They go, why don't you help us? Because you have a voice. And like when the VA fucks up, and you tell them you're a vet, and you've, uh, they'll blame you, and nothing gets done. When I call up, they try to bullshit me, and I just go off on them, and I get them moved up in line. And uh, we've helped a lot of people that, you know, were getting thrown out of their houses. You know, they come back to nothing. They come back sometimes, uh, their wife leaves them. They've come back from a job that made 200000 a year, and they end up losing their house. And uh, some of them uh, lost legs. They need ramps, you know. Then I go and, you know, get. I get. The, I say how much money we have, you know. And I'm going to start doing this more often around the country and try to get, you know. I, I make calls to big comedy clubs and go, I have the 501-3C. Let's go do it. Come on, I'll do it on a Monday night. I know I'll pack the place. I got the comedians. I don't hear back from them. People don't give a shit, okay, unless it's around you. Like, if you, look, if you, when I told them, I said, you know, the funny thing is, I don't even know how many vets live around me, and there's probably a ton, and most people don't. So we need to go town to town and let them know, hey, there's a vet that lives here. He's been in his house for six months, and that happens to a lot of them. And, you know, you need to, you know, bring them over at dinner, you know what I mean? Sit with them, watch a game, take them to a ball game, you know? Have a... Uh, on uh, the 22nd of every day, uh, vet day, they go to a restaurant and get a uh, free dinner, a half-price meal, because 22 kill themselves each day, and that's a low number. So I've done plenty of research. I've done my own plan that, you know, I fixed the, helped fix the uh, suicide hotline. It was push-button, Steve. That's crazy. I mean, especially at this time, I mean, everything's automated. It's like, come on. Dude, you're talking about people that I take, I take Xanax. If I go on and off it for three days, I, can, I went to make a call late at night to talk to a friend, and I was hitting my phone down the thing, and I was afraid to hit the button because I thought I was going to dial the wrong number. Can you put that 1,000 to 10,000 more than that? So I found out through getting on their ass, getting on, putting it on news, uh, putting it on radios, and uh, everything they that that they dropped 1.6 million calls last night last night last year and the only one that answers the phone and they gave me an attitude at first but then they understood was philadelphia they always answer the phone that's crazy man so so okay so now you're doing all this work now i want to get back to your comedy now You've been a comic for a long time. When did you know you wanted to do comedy? I and mean, I remember working with you. I still remember me, you, and Florentine played yeah. a place, uh, the Carousel with Ray Sapola, which I have no idea whatever happened to Ray. I don't. I have no idea. I mean, if he's in, I don't I know. Even know if he's alive. But when did you want to start doing comedy? And then how have you your act going from the shock to getting more socially conscious? How did I mean? When did you know you wanted to do comedy? Did you ever think that your voice and your popularity could let you lead you to? Helping, helping the your your environment. Uh, you know what? It just never. Okay, I come from a crazy background, a really 
tough-ass background in New York. I grew up in Brooklyn, Staten Island, and uh, we were badass. I'll admit that. I, I might be writing a book about this. I'm waiting for them to finish one other book. And uh, basically, my job was to, when people came into our bar, I was there to make fun of them, so they wanted to fight us. And I was really good at it because they wanted to fight us every fucking time. So I did my job. And my friend goes to me, he goes, you're pretty funny. He goes, you should try comedy. And that's when, you know, we listened to Howard and Jackie had the open mic in West Orange. So I put together like five, ten minutes. I did two years of open mics where they used to hand me a number to make sure I was up there, like sixth or whatever, because I was really good at it. And after two years, I was headlining, and I knew nothing about the business because nobody ever helped me. So now I'm, I, I go from being a fucking, basically a thug, you know what I mean? Somebody that was dealing drugs and had a gun to his head and got, you know, robbed of, uh, you know, thousands of dollars, but got, didn't get scared and got paid the next day because we caught the guy. So I made, to me, I made thousands of dollars in one day on one sale that I got shot almost, you know, got a gun put to me. But it didn't matter to me. So now I'm in a business that I go to, I'm headlining the first gig. Tony Camacho books me at the Penny Arcade, which is also known as Casual Times, I think, at the time. It was one or the other. And there's two other comedians. And I go, who booked you here? And they go, Tony Camacho. And I go, that's fucked up. He booked me here. And they go, well, he books the room. And I'm like, oh, now I'm starting to understand this. You know, so I never really got help. Nobody ever told me how this worked. That's why, you know, when I met cool people like Florentine and Norton, like I took, I, you know, they lived near me. I said, come on, yeah, fucking let's go, man. You know, this is easy shit, man. You know, you just got to get out there and and uh, and do your stuff over and over and put pressure on. The way I taught them was, uh, uh, I remember one night with Don Jameson, I told him, uh, do, do 15 minutes. And he goes, okay. And uh, as soon as the show was about to start in two minutes, I go, I go do 20-something, 20, 20 or 22. And he just looked at me and he goes, okay. And that's how I knew that people had the balls to do it. If you ever questioned anything I said, like, I didn't think you had it. And these people totally listened. And it's very simple business to go out there and destroy when you know what you're doing. Uh, have I changed my act? No. Do I talk politically? No. I do talk about the vets. Uh, but I go out there and give that audience that night a show for them. Not for me. I'm not a comedian that goes up and does a show for me. I do it for the people that night. So every show could be different. That's why it's it's weird when somebody says, send me a tape. I go, well, why that fucking show I did for these people? You know what I mean? I don't need a fucking tape. Just put me in. If I don't do good, don't pay me. That's how fucking, you know, I know I'm not fucking uh, good on stage. Well, so, I remember working with you. You, uh, you. you really worked the crowd well. When did you decide to do that? Because I know you always, you did a lot of crowd time, which to me, crowd time is the hardest because as you said, you know, if you have a set act, it's, you know, what's going to work. But working with a crowd, it's always going out on a limb. And I think a lot of times crowds sit there and think it's more spontaneous and which it is. But then as you know, and a lot of people don't know is we do when you work a crowd, you do have certain lines that you've written 
for if someone gives you an answer back, which you've had a few times. When do you start really concentrating on the crowd, too? Well, that was basically right away because of the fact that that's how I got into it. So I was always that quick, and like I was able to think five things in my mind. I'm like, okay, uh, I, I'm doing this right now. That guy's walking by. What am I going to do next? Okay, uh, then I'm going to follow with this. And I'm thinking all this in one my mind. My mind's able to do that, and I can still put it out there like you don't even notice. And uh, But the whole thing is is that I watch everything. I watch everyone that comes in the room because it's their night. And anything can be lead into anything. And you can make anything funny. That's what I said. When I tell people, when I help people, I say, write down anything because anything can be funny. You may not think it is, but you could put it in front of paper in front of me and I guarantee I give you one of your best jokes. Now, I read something, and mm-hmm. I don't know if this is bullshit, but were you a semi-pro wrestler? Yes. Now, I want to hear about this. This fascinates me because I just... Because we, we all, you know, we're, we're on the same age. We grew up when wrestling was in its heyday, man. You know, oh, yeah. Bob Backlund, before that, Bruno Sammartino, Snuka. How did, how did you get into wrestling? Okay, uh, I was always into wrestling. Uh, my, you know, in Staten Island, we had the father, uh, uh, was it the father, grandfather houses, you know, where it was part, you know, like apartment downstairs. So my grandfather lived downstairs, my grandmother. And every midnight, I used to go down and watch, uh, on Saturday nights as a kid, wrestling, like Milk Mascaress and all that back then. Uh, always loved wrestling. All of a sudden, me and Norton, I get a call to do Vince McMahon's son, Shane's bachelor party on a boat. So I go, Norton, come with me. You know, you go do some time, and then I'll close it up. We go out there. We do it. I end up destroying and they're like, hey, man, you got like, you know, you could be a good announcer. You can take a fall. You know, you're, you're a pretty big guy. And and then my neighbor was, uh, you know, uh, was a guy I knew in the town and up become my neighbor runs the Monster Factory. Larry and, Sharp, right? Yeah, Larry Sharp. And uh, it's still out here in, in the Woodbury area. It's probably one of the best training places. And I said, you know, they want me to do it. He goes, well, then why don't you come here and do it for nothing? You know, I'll let you do it for nothing. It's good for my promotion and all that. And uh, I just did it for fun as I was, you know, seeing what would happen. You know what I mean? But then also I had Pat Patterson pat me on the leg telling me how great I was. That was a little nerve-wracking, you know? I'm like, oh, I might have to suck a dick to get a job. But that that never happened and never will. But the whole thing was is that... uh, that's how it came to play, and I really enjoyed it. And uh, I, I, I tell people, do anything you want to do. You know, if you if you just want to do something for fun, do it for fun. You know, do it, just do it. Like, what are you gonna do? Sit around and think about what you could have done? That's everybody's fucking problem, man. I'm going all day. You understand? Boom, boom, boom. I just got off the phone with my. Uh, my son's uh, new agent. I said, you're not a manager because I'm a manager. Until you make me, you know, not look like a manager and you learn my rules, then maybe you can have that name. But you're just booking us now. And I said, I expect you to do better than I can do. And you're going to learn how there's no such thing as I don't know. Well, let me see what I can do. Those aren't words, you know, sorry. Those are words I don't fucking say. I don't think I've ever said sorry. You know, because if I said it, I fucking meant it. So why am I going to take it back? 
to make somebody happy. Fuck them. So, so with your career, you know, because you've you've always been working. Uh, when did you start getting? You headlined two years in, but then you started getting a really cult following. And, yeah. And then you sat that. Now, how did the cult following come? And how did you get the name Reverend? Because I mean, people, if you don't know, they ask him the Reverend Bobby Levy. But how did that part come? And then how is it when you have a cult following? I mean, how does that happen? How did you catch, as they call it, the tipping point that pushed you into that? Well, basically, the Reverend thing came up with Jackie. The joke man made it up because one time, you know, at the beginning, you know how it is. Uh, one, you know, the first time I destroyed. The second time, I ate the biggest dick ever. And it's filthy. Now we're talking filthy but unpolished, you understand? So he goes, hey, how about a hand for the Reverend? And he starts giggling. And I go, that's fucking good. I like that, you know? And so we, so we kept that. And then when I was able to go to places that never heard of me, they would go, that fucking reverend guy's coming back. So that's why it helped to have that name. Because you can go, I can say, okay, who was the comedian that was there last night? And they go, I think his name was Don, you know, or maybe Mike. But you remember reverend. So... It would be like everybody would be, oh, that fucking reverend guy's coming to town. You got to see him. I seen him at this place. And you build that, that cult following like Otto and George had, you know? We both came around, you know, we were both around, you know, he was doing it before me, but, you know, we became, became good friends. And we had a certain way we looked at the business. And I still do look at the business a certain way. And I, I think it's kind of falling apart because, the, uh, Owners are trying to take too much control of you know when when an owner goes on stage, run uh, okay. Unless when, unless it was Joe Donato from, oh, from Mitchell's. Joe, Joe, Joe Donato was a legend, but that but but I'm saying when you're saving money like that, and when you and when you when you're in a bad economy and you start cutting uh, people like me, Florentine. Nick DeFalo, Rich Voss, Bonnie McFarlane, money, right? So you can pay somebody a lot cheaper. That's the end of come. You understand how many clubs are going to close by the end of this year? Because of the fact is you have to spend money to get people out. You can't show people garbage and expect them to come back. You know what I mean? Nobody's ever handed me a piece of shit for $2.00. And then Holt handed me a fucking, you know, a gold fucking pipe for five. I would take the gold pipe any time and come back. Why do you think that changed? Because, you know, when we were doing it, it was, uh, we were in the midst when there was the, more of the comedy boom. Why do you think mm. the owners are changing? And do you think also, I've noticed that a lot of people now, and I've, I've seen this, clubs mm. will book someone because they have a lot of Twitter followers. They, they, yeah. might, they might not even have to be stand-ups. I mean, I, I know some place where they like book like two kids playing a video game on screen in a comedy club because they they have a thing. Why do you Dude, think that's happening, and what what can a comic do about that? Uh, there's nothing. The only way you can do it is go on your own, which I'm pretty much doing. Uh, uh, I look when I go into a club, don't even don't even tell me what to do. You know what I mean? Don't even bring up anything. You know what I mean? Because I'll tell you a hundred things that you're doing wrong. In your fucking club. So, basically, you know, I go and do my job. You know what I mean? I go, hey, you want to make some more money tonight? Don't drop the bill on me, and I'll do an hour and a half, and I'll give you a sign at an hour and 20. You understand? So you got like a two and a half hour show on a one show Friday. 
and because I've been to clubs where they drop the checks after 10 minutes and I go, well, why would you, I go, you're not affecting me because I'm still going to kill to a, a check spot. A lot of people can't. And that's, that's, that's stupid, which I don't understand why a check spot is dropped on your most expensive guy. It should be put on, dropped as soon as he's done. The MC goes back up, does a few minutes, does a little bullshit, you know what I mean? Gives out some tickets and that shit. And you don't leave the room without a ticket. These people think that people are fucking escaping through ceilings and fucking holes in the ground. And all you're doing is losing yourself hundreds of dollars to more, you know what I mean, on drinks. And it doesn't, and, and food. It's like, oh, the kitchen's closed. Or, oh, I didn't notice that closed already, you know? Yeah, that's true. You know, you notice that because you're right. People, I mean, if the headliner is going to do longer, you know, let them do longer and people are going to drink. I mean, the bottom line is, if you're enjoying yourself and you're sitting there and there is a lot of times the main mind frame, like, cause especially in L.A., you know, you go to a show and there's 15 acts on, you know, yeah. and then they, they're cutting people who like, you know, I know Tom Rhodes played at a club around the street. Tom Rhodes can do two hours exactly. sitting down and they put like five acts in front of them. It's like, what are you doing, man? Let the people pay to watch this guy and let him do his time. And if they're enjoying themselves... They're going to drink more. They're going to order more, and that's what's going to happen. Well, that's what it is. I'm I'm doing flappers uh, at the end of the month. I think it's the 26th on a Tuesday of July, and I'm doing it with Tim Hanlon, my buddy from Florida. And I'm doing it with uh, Stuttering John, and uh, I'm just doing two shows in one night because I have to go out there. I might have a meeting with somebody, but you know, he knows. You know. Like, Steve knows not to put fucking, you know, he goes, you want me to bring a, a couple on? I go, you got to put a, two guys on each show if they you know what I mean? Keep them quick and, you know, because the whole thing is, is like, I get people go, oh, I got so many comedian friends that are fans of yours out there. They'll all come to the show. Well, they ain't coming in for nothing. You know what I mean? I don't give a shit if they're fans of mine, you know? It's like, I, this is business, motherfucker. I ain't in this business to make friends unless you're a good fucking person. Right. You know what I mean? And and I don't want to talk about comedy when I'm working. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't talk about comedy when I'm not working. You know how it is. Yeah, so you know, I, I, live, I live like five blocks from Flappers. I'll have to come down that night. Oh, you got to come out. Just fucking hang out. I live right you know, around the corner. It's all about giving the fans what they want. I'm the last one to leave, you know? And uh, it's just going to be a fun time. And I'm really going to start promoting it, even though, you know, they, they're always going, oh, you got to use your Twitter, your Facebook. Uh, you know, I haven't heard it from Steve, but most clubs are like, they're so into that. And I've done tests on it. Uh, and also Florentine, after I, I told him, I said, you know, we sell shirts, we sell CBD. We talk to everybody on the way out. How do you hear about this? How do you hear about It's all local radio and newspaper, okay, and local advertising. Nobody from fucking uh, Australia that's on my fucking Twitter is flying in to see me in fucking Cleveland. Do you understand? It does not work. Ask people how many. These are people that don't leave their house. You will see that they're still on when you come back from the gig. Right. Oh, yeah, that's true. It's like the Twitter. I mean, the Twitter, you're right. It, it's a certain following. But you're right. They're not going to, you know, and, and it's funny thing, especially about L.A. is, you know, like Burbank. I've lived in Burbank for years. You know, Burbank yeah. on a Tuesday, it's slow because, you know, Burbank, yes, has the studios, 
But you drive around parts of Burbank, and it's, I mean, you drive to down the, not where I live, but the one part, it's like Magnolia, like the original Burbank. The street's called Magnolia. There's like still train stores and rubber stamp stores. So it's not like people are coming out of the woodworks on a Tuesday. And, and you're right. A lot of times the Twitter will help get it out. But I don't think a lot of people sit there. I still think we, unless you're a huge, huge name or you have a following, people will yeah. come out. But if you're not saying Twitter, people are just going to go to a comedy club anyway, even if they see you on Twitter, unless they're a fan. No, the, yeah, there's definitely some fans coming because that, that'll work more than most because I haven't been out in L.A. And, you know, I got Rudy Sarzo's coming out. He bass player from uh, Quiet Riot and Ozzy and Dio. You know, and I hit up some other celebrities. But they said Tuesdays are pretty hot there. So, you know, I'm looking forward for it either way. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I'm going to put it up on there. But, you know, you, you'll see by asking people after the show, it doesn't fucking work. You know what works? Like, if I'm in the local area, I'm doing uh, Northeast Philly on Saturday, right? Comedy Cabaret? Yes. And and I'll, 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 call, I'll give a call to Big Daddy Graham. 4.30 in the morning, right? That works more than anything else anybody else can do. You know what I mean? Because, like, what I love about his show is that it's not just sports. You know what I mean? Like, I always want to call. Like, I told him, give me the number again because I was away for a while and then I'm back. And, you know, I always want to uh, call in. But then I, I just get caught into the conversation that he has, like, normal conversations. It's not day the same bullshit on sports channels that's what makes his show to me the best on there because if you listen to from the morning till right before him it's all the same talk so why don't just play a replay you know how about putting on a fucking uh real radio again on the mornings on stations you know know? i agree you know what's funny about big daddy graham when we talk about t-shirts he was the original merch seller like, nobody sold merch. Remember years ago, he, before people even thought about it, he was selling albums. How did you start? When did you start selling merch? And do you wish he had started doing it earlier? Uh, you know what? I, yeah, I mean, I guess it, it all depends. I guess I was kind of nervous, you know what I mean, about doing it. And then I just came up with this I Hate People t-shirt, you know? And I had, did have a CD at one time, at, at like 2002, but when I sell, like, the shirts sell at the shows. Like, you're not going to sell them online. Like, okay, like, online kind of works for selling songs. Like, my son's song goes down to number 3,000 in Amazon out of millions of songs. So that's fucking amazing, right? Without even being on TV yet. So imagine what they're going to do when they get on TV. So things like that, it, it might work for it. You understand? It's stuff like, you know, like, you know, like uh, the vets have, you know, I push their stuff all ten times. I, I never even really push my stuff. I push their stuff because I know that money is going to good help. And they come in. I just gave him another idea shirt today. And he goes, I like that one, you know, because, you know, that helps them out. You know, sometimes a vet may need $700. A vet, a vet might need... 2500 you never know you know you never know what your problem is until it's put in front of your face and how to figure it out like uh you know uh the blue meanie hit me up yesterday about a vet help him out he's got to go fund me i go go fund me for fucking uh 
you know, for pills and that shit. Okay, now that makes it kind of harder for us because we don't do GoFundMes. What we do is basically we don't give people money. We take care of their problem. Like a mortgage, I deal with the mortgage company. I don't, you know what I mean? I don't hand the guy fucking money. And they have to have paperwork. But but when you're dealing with something like uh, medicine that they're, they're supposed to get, you can, you know, you can actually either try the VA or you can get lucky with a cool doctor that'll that'll give you a break, you know. And I, I've got a lawyer for nothing in Jersey. I just sent somebody over today to them. And, uh, and when you get people that are working around like that, these problems don't become problems anymore. They don't know what to do. And I also said, okay, if, 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 if your father needs, you know, this much money raised and that shit, I said, I'll do a benefit for a really cheap price just so I can survive and you can have the rest. I don't give a fuck, you know? I said, I'll get me and my son's band. It'll cost you fucking low money. And I said, if you do it the way I tell you, you'll walk out of there with six to eight grand, and he's in his, that's where he's at. He made it there. You understand? So it's like sometimes you take a hit, but is the hit worth it? Yes, it is, because there is no better feeling than when, when you can help somebody that's in fucking really uh, bad need of help. And I've, you know, I've helped many comedians. What the fuck did that get me? I don't see anybody doing anything for me. But then, then who gives a fuck? You know what I mean? That's their decision. With this, I see it happen in front of me. I see the fucking tears come down their eyes. When I talk to them on the phone, I hear the tears come down. You understand? So that is worth it, you know, to take a beating here and there. And, and and come back. I'm not fucking homeless. You know what I mean? Do I have to have the biggest house in the world? No. I got the biggest cock in the world, so it doesn't matter. But the whole thing is, is that when you can do something for somebody and change their life, it, it, it means more than anything you can do in life. And that's what I, I taught my son. I said, I want to show you how to help before you get you know what I mean? You make your greatness. Yeah. And I think everybody should be taught that. But now, and, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, you, 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 your name has helped you help people. Now, your name has also came from your association with Stern and Artie. How did that all happen? Uh, they had, uh, basically, Casey told them about the blue cheese thing I did a long time ago. Tell, now, and, tell, tell the people what the blue cheese. Well, I would put... Uh, we were in South Carolina, and uh, and basically uh, there was this girl there who looked like Whitney Houston, and she was really hot, and she wanted money, and then somebody came up with an idea that I would eat blue cheese, uh, whatever, something out of her ass, and they had the blue cheese in the, in the wrappers, like uh, mustard, out there in South Carolina, so I remember Jim opened them up, pouring her into her ass, right, and then... I ate it out of her ass, and I think we gave her like 38 bucks, right? The next night, I get on stage, I get a standing ovation. People have bottles of blue cheese dressing, okay? so that And then it just went away for a while, and then, you know, kind of uh, 
then once I got on the Stern show, they brought it up, and they go, they can't, they, they go, you're telling me women just come up? I, I go, women's, uh, women come up, uh, their husbands send their wives up. Uh, I had a mother and daughter once in front of their father. I go, that was when I was going to retire. And uh, and then it just, it, it had to happen every show when I was on the Stern show. Whenever we did live shows, they would start chanting blue cheese. And I had to do it, but now I don't do it anymore, you know, because I'm no longer associated with the show. But yeah, it was a great time. It was a great time until it wasn't a great time anymore, you know. And I've always been close with Artie, and, uh, you know, he was going down a bad path. So was all of us, man. And, you know, I got sober, it'll be six years in August. He got sober about the same time. He might have fell off a couple times, but, you know, he keeps bouncing back, and now he's stronger than ever. But the whole thing is, is that, you know, I didn't like the way things were there, you know. And if I don't like something, I move on. And when I say, I'm going to go on Opie and Anthony, and then you say you can't because you're one of us, and you're not one of us exactly in the top five, but you're right there, and, you know, and this bullshit... And uh, and then they accused me of attacking security, so I was banned from the building. And I'm like, this is fucking insane. This is insane. Am I that good of a writer? Holy shit, man. And then I went on my podcast and threatened to kill him and his wife, which, you know, I retaliate a little stronger than most people. Right. And uh, so I'll, I'm sitting here one night taping, with Devin Ensign, and fucking all of a sudden, the NYPD Blue shows up at my door at like 10.30 at night. And my wife goes, the NYPD Blue is here, what'd you do now? And I'm like, what do you mean? And they go, you know, they go, can you come out here? And, like, we just shut it off. People seen us on TV doing this. And I'm saying, Devin, move that thing right there. Hide that, hide that, hide that. But thank God they said, come out here and put the dogs in there. And then they sat to me and they said, look, we could have got you last night at Florentine's Roast. We wanted to come and see you at your own habitat, basically, you know, how I am. And I go, dude, I'm fine. I just don't like when people threaten me. Uh, They don't have a right to and and not deal with uh, circumstances. And, uh, And they go, well, he's scared. And I go, well, that's the plan. And I go, you have to realize, if I really wanted to kill him, he'd be dead. And they go, you can't say that. And I go, why? What are you talking about? I'm telling you the truth. And they go, you can't say that. I, and I go, I'm, I'm saying that why would I say I'm going to kill somebody if I'm going to kill him? And they kept saying to me, you can't say that. Right. <laughs> and I'm just like fucking, I'm not understanding why I can't say that. I go, but he threatened to kill people and fuck their father's dead head and whatever. I go, but if you're going to push me, I'm going to push back harder. And basically, I go, so what's up? You know what I mean? They go, well, if you don't hear from us, that's good news. And I never heard from them, you know? And they had the FBI involved, too. And, uh, you know, I don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? I'm not going to... I'm not going to back down to my beliefs, you know? And I think that's a weak person. You there? Yeah. You there? Yeah, you're cutting out. Are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Hey. Yeah, can you hear me? Hey. 
Yeah, I'm here. We have a technical difficulty, people. Let me call him back. Yo. You there? Yeah, now I got you. Uh, okay, yeah, so well, well, yeah. We were talking about uh, that they, they can't threaten you. Yeah. It's, what was the last word I said? I don't know. It cut off. It was out. But you were talking about Stern when the cops came to your house to see you. Okay, yeah, I got to most of that. Uh, I just don't know what the last word... I've seen when it went out, you know? Well, I heard you talking about... We were talking about Stern... And then the thing, he threatens people, but you, people can't threaten you because you're going to want to retaliate. Okay. Let's let's remember the cut here, okay? Yeah. Now, I'm no. going to go right into it right now, okay? What are you going into? Uh, I'm, I'm just going... Uh, I'm just going to just finish like you can't, you know, really yeah, push people around, you know, no matter who you are. Well, that's simple, but you, but you live by your standard, your values and standards, and that's the thing is people should respect that. I mean, you know, you know someone, when you talk to someone who doesn't shoot the shit, doesn't bullshit, you, yeah. gotta, you have to listen to them, else you're going, you can't push them around if you know that's the type of person you are, they're not going to take your shit. And if they do act like you know they're going to act, you can't sit there and be, you know, upset about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I do believe, you know, when one of them said to him, you made a big mistake, you don't know who he knows. And they were terrified. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to say any names because I'm not a cunt like them, but they're all phonies up there. And, like, you know, Artie's always been there. You know, we had arguments over shit because, you know, you know, but, you know, he was on drugs and, and fucking... You know, but I was like the first one. I was always talking to him after that. You know, we had a big fight before that because we canceled a whole bunch of gigs. And I'm like, dude, you told me to clear out three months. Now I'm fucked. But, you know, and then I was seeing him dying in the studio. And I'm like, you know, you're supposed to get somebody help. It's a business. You can't have somebody doing drugs in a business, no matter what, if it's radio or whatever. You know, it just doesn't work that way. And uh, and I was doing a pre-interview, and I said, you know, fuck them all, and that hit, you know, they can all suck my dick, and I'm um, quit bolt shows, and that made it into the fucking whatever the Huffington Post or one of them papers, but and then and they're like, you know, that, you know, look, one day they're gonna have to look me in the eye. The hell, you there? You there? What the hell's going on here? You there, man? Yeah. Okay, you said it made it to the Huffington Post. Yeah. And, and one day, you know, when, you know, some of these people who fucked me over are going to have to look me in the eye. And, uh, you know, that, that you know, there better not be a smile on their face because that's going to be the worst thing. Because, you know, I'll sit here in my little web and wait for you to fall into it. I don't need to look for nobody, you know, but, you know, you want to fuck somebody over, you're going to feel what it's like to be fucked over. And uh, I really don't give a fuck. And uh, and that's the way to be. And, uh, you know, if you can't live your life the way you want to be and you have to live it around somebody else's and believe in what they believe just to fucking keep a job, you're not, you're not much of a man. You're a failure, you know? 
if you can't just walk away and get something else, you're a failure. And and that's the way, you know, you have to be able to, especially in this business, walk away from a lot of shit. Because I've got scripts from fucking L.A. for cartoons that were fucking horrendous. And I said it. I said, this isn't fucking funny. I go, you know, and they're like, this is the biggest writer ever. He's going into these big studios. I go, dude, anybody can rent them. You guys just get everybody gets so fooled by just somebody that all comes out of nowhere all of a sudden. This ain't Seinfeld or it ain't fucking Spielberg or anybody like that. You understand? It's a name I've never heard of. And all of a sudden, oh, he, but he's renting this studio out. You know, he's doing this stuff in this studio. I go, yeah, I can rent that out too. You know? And his shit is horseshit. And I'm saying we should make it funnier. And they're like, oh, he's got an attitude. You know what I mean? If you're going to be part of something, you want to be part of the best. Right. And when you're the best, like I felt on the Stern show, when we were the best, why not get better instead of just fucking being lazy? That's what I felt. There's no reason to stop being better at what you do, no matter what you do, because then you lose it all. You know, you got to keep trying to top yourself. Well, now you've kept on with the radio. Now, what's the show you're doing now with Kensel, and how did that come? You've done a few. You did your podcast, and now you're doing yeah. what, now what, the podcast. Now that became the show. Now, yeah, the podcast is on RadioMisfits.com. Uh, Artie Lang does a free one every Friday on there. With, oh, on and your show? On, not on our oh, show, on, okay. on his own thing. Uh, but, like, instead of paying for the one day, you get a free one. But you can pay on Artie Lang, ArtieQuitter.com. But on Fridays, he, he gives you a free show on there. And, uh, and, and we're, you know, we, we got a pretty good group of guys on there and, uh, the shows are really good. I mean, the one that we do, uh, we do. It's called the Bob Levy Show. I don't know who came up with that that name, but it's amazing. And uh, almost as good as Cooper Talk. <laughs> yeah, but it's great. We got John Kensel comes in here. Uh, Joe Conti, uh, a great comedian, great man. He's there, and then we have Mister Nielsen, who uh, is on the show, and we all are totally different people. John is like from another planet. John uh, has that. John has that. Like, I always crack up with his posts because oh my John's, god, he's just bizarre. Like I, I shared his post today about McCartney playing in Philly, and it was it's so randomly dumb. It's weird. I had a time where when I came back, when I was coming back a lot before my girlfriend moved out here, I would perform at the perform the mm-hmm. parks and all, and I always ended up on the shows with Wid, and then John would be there to open because he's you know Wid. And he just has a very bizarre sense of humor. Very, like, one-liner, but funny shit. No, he's fucking hilarious. But, like, I go, why are you always fucking... He always blames traffic on 95. And he goes, I'm sorry I'm late. There was uh, bunny rabbits out in front of your house. I go, what did you just fucking say? He goes, I go, they're rabbits. Bunny rabbits. And he had pictures of them. He goes, because he didn't want to scare them. And he's, like, ten minutes late because rabbits run around here, you know? And he usually has all these puppets he brings around. He did a fucking he did a, a fucking fear out here with the wit, right? I go, I go. I'm not allowing you to work with the wit anymore because he, he's doing this Cumberland fear, right? And you know what? You know what had the top billing over them? What? A psychic monkey. <laughs> I told him. I said, dude, you cannot do this anymore. You know, you you can't. 
you know? And and he put up a post today, and he goes, you know, fuck this. I told my parents, you know, I'm 50. I, I'm going to move out soon. Fuck them. <laughs> it's just it's stuff so bizarre. And he shows his dad with the puppets, just weird stuff. Oh, no. He, he is just like, you know, I love being around him. I love him as a person, as, a, as somebody on the radio that I, you know, he was one of those guys that, I hit him up and he never get back to me. He's like very shy, and I finally hit him up and he he did it. And he was much more than I thought. He I thought he would just do news stories and that shit. And he's very you know he's always got something happening in his life. You know basically that's how it'll start off. What's up with you? What did you do? And fucking his story is like not like anything that like we we call a cancel's corner one part because. It's a story that happens to only one person and only one person only. And that man is a plumber from Philadelphia called John Kensel. Because I've never heard this shit happen to anyone in my life. And this happens to him every day. He once got in trouble. He went into a bar and the guy goes, he had to take a leak before he got home. And he goes, wrong bathroom, asshole. So he gets upset, right? He has a beer and he goes home. And then he draws a picture of the bouncer blowing a dog and mails it to the place. <laughs> now, who would go through that? I know. So, so you got him. How did you, you hook up with Joe Conte? You just knew each other? Uh, Joe Conte, I would talk to on the phone, and I said to Joe, I go, Joe, we do great phone. Can you imagine how great radio we would do? And that's how I got him. And Mr. Nielsen used to do covers of, you know, he would write up our... Uh, our show with the pictures and didn't do commercials and all this shit and he has his own show on Saturdays on Radio Misfits and I said dude instead of doing be part of it you know so you know he's part of it too and it's just so much fun I mean I, it's some of the best times I have what can people and, expect when they hear it I mean, what, what, what is like what like you're recording tonight right yeah I, I would tell you to listen to five in a row and then you'll understand who the characters are. I mean, we don't, we don't, you know what I mean? We'll tell a few news stories, we'll argue over shit, we'll find crazy news, we'll fucking... It's basically about our lives. So until you listen to it a few times, you're not, you're not gonna... If you listen to it once, you're not gonna really get it. You really have to listen to, like most radio, you know, five to ten in a row. And then you'll kind of get it you know, of, of, of how everyone is. But it's basically about our lives, you know. Now, I'm living alone. My wife went back to Cleveland. My, my wife would rather be in Cleveland than be with me. That's, That's my it. new fucking joke. <laughs> Holy shit. But the, the whole thing is, is that, you know, she finally got offered the job she wanted. And who am I to say no? I mean, she did her time here, you know. We're, you know, we'll always be best friends. And, you know, you move on. But, you know, I'm, I'm here, I got my son, I'm working with his music, I, I'm a fucking songwriter, I can't believe that. I mean, you don't think you can do anything, I pick up a paper and I'm writing fucking music, I'm writing words to songs, and they're like, holy shit, this is amazing. Like, I wrote that war, uh, the fight has just begun, I wrote those words, and it's all about what the troops are going to now. And my son basically played almost all the instruments, and we're going to re-record it with our 15-year-old guitar player genius, Billy uh, Billy the Kid Doden, who is probably known, he's known as the next Hendrix, and this kid is phenomenal. 
and they're back together so we're gonna we have eight songs ready to get taped and uh i'm enjoying every part of life helping people doing the music doing comedy you know everything is where you know i think life should be now what's your comedy schedule like like are you performing as much as you used to or are you cutting it down to concentrate on other things uh, I cut it down because I'm not going to work for bullshit money, you know what I mean, most of the time. Uh, but the whole thing is, is that, you know, shit comes in and fucking, uh, I'm just enjoying, you know what I mean? I'm getting uh, to see my son's band become the next rock and roll band uh, out there. And and these little girls are going to go nuts when, you know, Justin Bieber will be nothing. I mean, somebody heard his voice, this one agency that, that wants them. They heard they heard Billy singing and they go, I've never heard a voice like that that wasn't touched by anything, you know? And that's what they end the guitar is unbelievable. I, I'll, I, I'll send you them doing uh, Red House by Jimi Hendrix and... Uh, Fucking amazing, you know. I saw your your son was uh, defending you on Twitter the other day. <laughs> oh, he doesn't defend me; he just attacks people. Now, 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 do you? I mean, okay. There's an actor named Nick Searcy who's was on Justified, and he just gets people pissed off like you do, and he laughs because the reaction people have. Do you enjoy it when you? Because your jokes the other day about black people, uh, white people, whatever it was, the the about. You get to know who your dad is on Father's Day. Oh yeah, I said I basically said the good thing about white privilege uh, matters. Was that the, that was the that, that was, was the, a tag that was a hashtag yeah yeah uh, because I don't have to uh, go to the police station on Father's Day and pick out my dad and it's basically a joke. I do I mean this? No. Do I hate black people? No. I don't hate anybody. But like. Like, if you're not following me on the computer, I can't see anything. You understand? I can only see it on my phone, and I'm hardly on my phone looking at my Twitter. Right. So if you're not following me, I don't see the hate unless it's somebody else wrote it, and then I'll just go at them. And I'm like, come on, baby, I said to her. I go, she goes, you don't know what it's like to live. I go, yeah, you, you don't know how it's life to fucking... To like to to live any fucking life, you know what I mean. If you stop your fucking whining and and do something about it, you can do anything you fucking want. You know, nobody's high, not hiring you because you're black. All right, nobody nobody's that racist to not make money because you're black. Nobody's not hiring an NFL coach because they're black because they want to not win a championship and lose millions of dollars does it does it make any sense to you it, you know well it, it, it you know it's funny we, we we've come from a different generation i mean we used to bust balls and all that and now you can't do it anymore because people just get too upset like i mean you know you think about me i'm sure when you and norton and florentine were hanging out you guys are busting each other's balls back in the day Oh fuck! We did. Everybody did it. Everybody fucking did. You I know mean, what I mean? It's, it's like, like the like, roast. The roast is not going to be around in a few years because you can't say anything on a roast. I mean, that's what that's where we're going now, and that's just awful. Yeah, we did a thing on Kid Chris about 2006. Basically, uh, 
it's stolen all over the world. I came up with this idea. It's called the roast off. It's it's one on one, and you would me and Spike Eskin went at it first, and it's two people roasting each other. Now it's all over the place, right? <laughs> because I I see it all oh, over. Yeah. Comedy roast battle. Yeah, roast battle. We came up with that in 2006. That was not around then. And I'm looking for the tape, but I can't find it. But I know Kid Chris has it. But it, it, we did that in the studio, man. And that shit just basically hit, what, how many years ago? Two, three, four, you know? Yeah, it's huge. Like a huge show out here in L.A. now. I mean, it's like the comedy store, they have it. So, Oh, please put it on TV because you're going to owe me a big check. They are putting it on TV. It just got picked I up I, well, I'll be ready for that because I have the fucking, uh, you know, the video is out there and it won't be hard to get. So, so you're going to be in, you're going to be in Burbank at the end of July. Yeah. And then you're out here pitching some ideas. Mm-hmm. So that's good though. So things are going good. You've, you've stayed with it. You know, you, you have, you know, you seem happy and you're making a difference, which is one good thing is because a lot of people don't give a shit. And no, do you work with any other groups besides the veterans? Uh, I'm, I, I work, uh, I work with, uh, bikers to Trump only because, uh, you know, I, bikers are really cool. And second of all, you know, they're not badass as they want. And I don't think people should go to a rally and get hurt for being innocent. So it's good to have them there. And what if, okay, say the Democratic uh, nomination, you know, whatever the party here in uh, Philadelphia, say me and 200 friends show up, you think these sissy bastards stand a chance against us? Right. (laughs) You know, we're not there for violence, but if you cause it, you think you have a chance to stand for a second? It's the way to do it, man. You know what I mean? No, you cannot in this country try to stop somebody from going to to vote or whatever they want to do, and that's what they're allowing. It's crazy. Anyway, we got to wrap up soon, man. Uh, give give all your give all your your deets how people can catch up with the Bobby Levy. Well, basically, I'm I'm on Twitter all the time. You know what I mean? I got that in front of my TV, so it's at the Rev Bob Levy. You'll have a picture of uh, Uncle Sam's thing behind me. Uh, on, on Twitter, I have uh, like three pages, Bob Levy with the same background. One might be open. Uh, also, the Reverend Bob Levy is a fan page. And, uh, you know, if you have any vets out there that have problems, uh, hit me up and I, I will do whatever I can or send them in the right place. To get it done, you know, I've been working on it uh, to today, and I I noticed I just got a local call, probably back from that girl who I sent to the lawyer for. Cool. And and let me tell you, Steve, there's nothing, there's no better feeling than fucking changing somebody's life, especially when they they have kids and they fought for this fucking this fucking country, and we're treating them like shit. Well, I want to thank you, man. That's good. Hey, I, I thank you, brother. Don't 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 leave it. I want to talk to you. But uh, people, so follow him. Follow me at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have uh, over 530 episodes. You can also uh, Instagram, Cooper Talk One. Um, Words with Friends, Cooper Talk One. And StopTheSalt.com. It's my cookbook when I'm a health problem. 120 yep. easy recipes. So buy that, StopTheSalt.com. 
buy it for me instead of Barnes & Noble and Amazon because I make money. I'll sign it for you. Go to the website. So please check out Bobby Levy. Remember your veterans. Follow up his work. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only a sip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I will talk to you guys next week. Yeah.